So Holden, how is your day going, my friend? Besides some technical difficulties, it's going great. <laughs> yeah, right. So for those of you listening to us today, a little bit different. So we have, we're doing an audio only stream. We had some technical difficulties on both of our sides over the past 24 hours and said, heck, you know what? Let's just record. Multiple. So, it's like a domino effect of, of our butterfly effect of, of different issues. It's crazy. Yeah. Hold it. How's everything going, man? How you been? I've been doing well. We have a lot to talk about this week, which is exciting. It is. Just trucking along. Just trucking along. Don't want to uh, inspire any conspiracy theories, but are you vaccinated yet? Are you partially vaccinated? No. uh, So tomorrow or Monday, I'm finally doing it. Things have not lined up my schedule, but I'm finally doing it. I'm very excited. Good for you. Get out there, get vaccinated, help protect us all. Yep. So today is Thursday, May 20th. It's really the week that a lot of the new Apple products are making their way to people, you know, for tomorrow's launch. We've had the iPad Pro, you know, kind of appear in reviews on uh, yesterday, we had the Apple TV today, and then on Tuesday, we had the new iMac. And I think general consensus is that people are overwhelmed with the new iMac 21-inch or 24-inch. They're underwhelmed with the iPad, and the Apple TV seems to be a, a welcome upgrade. So we'll start there in just in terms of the three new products that are coming out. There's actually some new pride bands and a couple other things, but a lot of new products. So have you had a chance to watch any of the reviews or read any of the content regarding any of those three products, Holden? Specifically the iMac and the iPad, yes. I've just kind of seen with the Apple TV that the new Siri remote is better than the last one, which seems to kind of be the big highlight. Yeah, very much so. Let's start with the iMac. And I guess the iMac to me is really interesting. In the beginning when it came out or when it was announced, I'm like, I don't want that. I have no use for it. And I and I really don't. Until I started thinking to myself, I'm like, you know what? Maybe I could use this as a computer for my son. For like, So he's like getting to be school age. And mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I don't really want to buy that. But I, I think it's interesting the way that first Apple segmented like the feature set into two different models, basically, not just in terms of like eight gigs of RAM and eight gigs of um it has eight cores for, for CPU, eight core GPU, 16 cores for the neural engine. So I think it's interesting the way that Apple segmented this. Now, I think a lot of people, when you first look at this machine, it's kind of ugly. I mean, to be frank, uh, even though, I mean, it's, it's got colors and I think there's, they have a, an intention with this machine. What kind of like pulling the computer out of like the corner of your office and giving it kind of a more front and center approach, you know, in your home. Because you really can't tell that it's an iMac or that, that it's an Apple product from looking at the front. There's no branding on the front other than, you know, those white bezels, you know, the thing says Apple. But when you look at the back of it, you you want to display the back. You, you want it to be seen, maybe. That's how I kind of think of this. Where you look at other Apple products, and that's maybe not the same same use the way that it is. I don't know. I guess we'll start there. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I've been thinking about that exact same thing, too. I like the back of it more than the front of it, which seems to be pretty common in the reviews that I've I've seen. Yeah. And I'm thinking like, oh, well, maybe if I ever hypothetically got one, I would position my desk so that like when you walk into my office, you could see the back of it. But I'm like, no, it's going to be a mess of wires just so I can show a darker color on the back of the iMac and a giant Apple logo. It just seems like such an odd move to me because I'm going to have all the different cables charging all my different stuff. That's going to kind of ruin that aesthetic where the front should look better than the back. I should want to show off the front more than I want to show off the back. It's very strange. I don't hate like I don't I'm not like I think I like the new design, but I'm not in love with it. But I, I'm kind of happy that they're at least making a bold move 
with the new aesthetic. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like caught on it. I like it and then I don't like it and I kind of go back and forth. But I can also see myself wanting to get one at one point just to have as like the kitchen computer for recipes. And I'm like, hold on, that's the dumbest thing you've ever said. <laughs> right? It's just like, no. it's. I go back and forth like that all the time. It's weird. I'm very caught. Anyway. Let me buy this $1,700 machine to read recipes on it. I mean, it is kind of silly. <laughs> yeah. Um, other than being silly because it's $1,700. And <laughs> I mean, it does look interesting. I think where the things that are appealing to me is, so one, the integration between the new slash old magic keyboard and touch ID, where I think that's that's a very novel implementation of that feature. And especially where you know everybody was over-indexing on, I think it was Jaws in 2019, where he's like, Touch ID will continue to have a prominent role in our products for the foreseeable future. Everyone's like, they're bringing Touch ID to the iPhone. <laughs> and it's actually kind of like the opposite, right? Like yeah. everyone, <laughs> that's funny. So it's it just, I guess it seems like an interesting product. I would like to see one. I'm not going to buy one because I have no use for it. But what I would like to see is that it ships with a very, very high power supply unit high psu it's like 150 watt psu it's a weird it's like 143 it's very strange strange number yeah it's it's like why would you ship with that high of a psu what do you plan on doing with that because it i think it max it's like somewhere between like 50 and 90 so there's a lot of overhead in the psu maybe that's because if you're routing ethernet through there well i can't imagine that's a significant draw yeah not doubling the (laughs) yeah the wattage that'd be hilarious though that would be hilarious. So other than that, I think it looks like it's has broad appeal. It looks like it's, it's going to be a good product. I am extremely happy with my, my M1 MacBook Pro and my Mac Mini. But what I think is interesting is that I think now as people were waiting for Apple to drop like the second iteration of this processor, people are just like, okay, you know what? These, these computers that they have right now, they work fine. I don't need to wait for the you know, the M1X or whatever they want to call the new, the next iteration of chipsets. Do you know anybody who's been on the, you know, on the fence? They've been waiting for, you know, an updated MacBook Pro, a 16-inch MacBook Pro or 14-inch? Yeah, I have um, I have a friend who uh, is out in Chicago and he is specifically waiting for the 16-inch MacBook Pro. I would assume that he has some type of specific use case or narrow use case where he wants that, I guess, that machine or? I think for him, it's mostly, I think he could, I think with his workflow and i think we actually have pretty similar work workflows the m1 chip is probably fine but he wants a larger display as would i like as much as i think the power is enough on a any of the current m1 chips i want a bigger display whether that's in a 16 inch macbook pro or a hypothetical unannounced 30 inch imac yeah but the, the extra power will probably go in conjunction with those updates and i would appreciate that too why not yeah i i was so surprisingly satisfied and shocked how well the new M1 handles what I thought was a pretty heavy workflow where I had a top of the line 15 inch MacBook Pro that was stretched thin. Like it's just Apple has some kind of secret sauce in these new processors where it is, I mean, I generally have a lot of bandwidth or overhead on my computer where it's not pushing like the upper bounds of my of my compute. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm really well, I'm happy for sure. Happy for sure. I do think it's interesting that we talked about when the announcement came out, but the uh, how the M1 iPad Pro, as compute rich as that machine appears to be, right? Because it's going to be in people's hands tomorrow. Everyone seems to still think that this machine is still hogtied by iPad OS, right? Like you, you can't get anything mm-hmm. further out of it. Everything that Apple adds to the new iPad is only further, I guess, a further example 
of how limiting iPad OS is. I completely agree with that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I do. So the iPad is a great computing platform for single task items. Like if you're doing something and you don't want to be bothered, if you're like writing a document, if you're drawing on something and you don't need the multi-window support, the iPad is like the go-to machine. But as soon as you start adding in, okay, I need to start doing more than one thing at, at a time, it really just highlights how antiquated it is. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I really hope that this is a shift for apple where we're going to see something at wwdc in a few weeks but i don't know man i don't know it's kind of like are they going to pull the trigger and make ipad os you know a full operating system like oh man i'm I'm hopeful but i don't think that's gonna work (laughs) it's gonna i think a lot of people are are expecting ios 15 to be this kind of um not like reinvention but like some sort of huge milestone in the ipad you know in the history of ipad and I'm on board with that. I think that I can see like the the rumor of a new home screen that doesn't have a grid and you can kind of just put things wherever you want. Like I can see that happening. But to your point, you're bringing up with the multiple windows and kind of having more of a Mac level multitasking experience. Yeah. In time. But I don't want to like get my hopes up. I think it's going to like baby steps on this. Like I feel people are saying, oh, and Logic and Final Cut and Xcode are clearly all coming to iPad. I'm like, why not what? You're right. In time. Like maybe yeah. we'll see Xcode this year and then next year is Final Cut and then Logic is after that. Whatever Apple decides is the priority of those three apps. Like I'm sure it happened, but we got to like temper our expectations on this. If it happens, great, but it's probably not going to be everything you want at once. It usually never is. That is exactly it. Like there's like core things from iPadOS that aren't there. Like you can't copy files and get a progress meter. There's no progress meter. Like you don't know if you're copying a, a 10 gig file. Are you halfway done? Are you, you know, three quarters done? And it's just no visual indication. You're like, well, where am I? What do I need to do? And like just basic things like like today, like what we were doing, recording a audio podcast you would not be able to do that on an iPad because you don't have that granular control of, of inputs and outputs on the iPad like you do on a Mac. So I don't want it to, to be let down when September comes around or whenever, I guess it would be September, but I feel like I have to temper my expectations. Like, I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah, yeah. I think, so there's one thing, I was watching Marquez Brownlee's iPad review. That guy always makes such great in-depth review. He does good stuff. And he brought up, I think, a really good thing about the new iPad that could lend to some of the conversation we're talking about here, which is with the RAM being so high now, Mm -hmm. he went to the multitasker and just scrolled all the way to the beginning of it, like the oldest possible app that was open. And it launched like as if it was still in memory, which is amazing. So maybe what they'll do is they'll say, hey, like in our workflow, we're doing a video chat, but we're also recording video or recording audio elsewhere that can just happen in the background. You don't need to see that open. And then if it, maybe it knows it's recording something and that app closes for some reason, it'll notify you in the top or they'll actually want, they'll be like the little red circle at the top of the screen, letting you know. Yeah. Um, like something like that maybe is kind of like the stepping stone, but it has to get to a point eventually where I can see that information visually in some way all at once. It has to, at some point it has to, I, I, I guess the the right the better question is when. Yeah. Right? Like there's just so 
like, I mean, you could you could bring your Thunderbolt drive onto your iPad, but still you can't edit files from a Thunderbolt drive. They have to be imported into the iPad. And or mm-hmm. like, that's another example. Like you can't, there's not really a good way to, to use your iPad in a creative workflow. Sorry, not your iPad, but like an external drive in a workflow today without copying those files first to your iPad. So hopefully that, I mean, that's, there's, again, there's still some weird things the way that it works. Yeah. Growing pain. So you have the new iPad, don't you? Or hasn't arrived I do not, No, it arrives tomorrow. Oh, okay. I was going to ask you what the mini LED looks like, but... I do not have it at the moment that we are recording. And if I did, I couldn't say anything. No, I'm kidding. Um, I don't have it. <laughs> You've been embargoed. Uh, I, I don't... Yeah, I've been embargoed. Actually, I'm going to be the anti-reviewer, and I'm not going to uh, release my my uh, review the day everyone else does, because that's just... I don't want to you know, <laughs> conform to everybody. <laughs> No, I, I don't have it. It'll be here tomorrow. I'm excited because the mini LED, at least in the pictures I've seen, looks pretty fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it looks like night and day like when you're looking at like examples of what would be blooming on like the pure black on the iPad versus the previous generation. It, it looks like pretty significant, which is, it looks very nice. I kind of wish I'm probably the, uh, the minority in this statement. I kind of wish they actually brought it to the 11 inch instead of the 12.9. Interesting. I like the 11 inch so much where it's just so much more of a personal device mm-hmm. than the iPad or than the 12.9 inch. Like right now I'm looking at you on my on my 12.9 inch iPad. Using the 11 inch is like something that you hold close. It's, you do for like more personal tasks opposed to the 12.9 inch. It's, a, it's like too big to hold. Like it's, you can't use it as a tablet, so to speak, because it's just so big. I, Does that make sense? You know, I 100% agree with you. I, I have never actually used a 12.9-inch iPad Pro before. Okay. But I have used an 11-inch. I, I have a 10.5-inch iPad Air, and mm-hmm. I like the intimacy of it. I feel like yeah. if I were to be – I do a lot of reading on the iPad. That's primarily what I do on iPad is, is, is reading, I would say. Reading in, okay. in like YouTube. But it's the kind of thing where like I just – I'll kind of just lay in bed and watch YouTube that way. Or sometimes I'll be working and I'll just kind of have it as like a secondary display to the side. But it's nice because it's not overwhelming that it can yeah. kind of be put to the side. And I feel like – and I could be wrong here, but I feel like it would be too much to have a 12-inch or basically a 13-inch device yeah. right there. I think it's, it's too big. But I mean if you're doing things like art and that kind of stuff, obviously you're using it more as like a, like a Wacom tablet almost of to have yeah. a larger workspace make sense. That's just not how I'm using my iPad. But I still would like the benefits of a mini LED. I still want to watch content and get those benefits. So I totally eventually it'll come. Obviously, it will come at one day. But I, I, I would assume at least maybe like never. It'll always be LED on <laughs> just normal LED on the 11 inch. But I would like to have the, the better color accuracy. I think in the kind of post retina world where everything has a retina um, display, I've become kind of a snob about colors on the screen like i distinctly remember when i uh, so first saw iphone 5 i had bought an iphone 4s the previous year and i told myself i'm not getting an iphone 5 i don't need it i have the 4s i have siri i have all this great stuff there's just no point it, the screen's not that much bigger but then i looked at it and i'm like oh man that itunes icon's much more purple than it is on my phone and yeah. it looks so much better and i'm like i, I have to get it now it just looks better. Even if it's like a subtle difference, I could notice that color difference. I want it now. And it would be a bummer if I had to make a choice between an 11-inch that I want in size versus a 12.9-inch that I don't want in size just because the iTunes logo is a little more purple on the – although there's no iTunes logo anymore. Oh, wait. There still is iTunes logo. 4S. Oh, my God. Isn't it weird to hold one now? It feels so small. 
Yeah. So I'm, I'm holding a, I'm holding an iPhone 4S in my hand. This used to be my mom's. That's why I have it here because I upgraded her not recently, but I was using it for something else. This is like super tiny to hold. It's like comically small. I feel like, like there's a video series like Shaquille O'Neal holding <laughs> normal size things, and but he's a giant. Yeah. That's what I feel like here. Like I am some giant and I'm holding like a, like a Samsung Galaxy tablet. That's a, it looks just so small. But yeah, it, it does feel weird to see something small. Uh, it's still a beautiful phone though. The aesthetic is still great, but yeah, the screen and how small it is, it's just, it's just too, it's, I can't imagine using that nowadays. I, back then wow. when the four inch or four plus inch, like 4.3 was a pretty common Android phone size at, the, at that time. Yeah. I remember thinking, oh, the screen is so much bigger. It's like, ah, who cares about that? What I like about my iPhone is being able to, I think the excuse was you can reach everything with one thumb. <laughs> that was like yeah. the big excuse of like, Oh, it, it, it so doesn't matter. <laughs> it does not matter. And remind me, was the iPhone 5, I know that that's the one where it was the aluminum top and bottom on yeah. the back. It like the, but what was the the feature with that? It, that did not have Touch ID, correct? Correct. The 5S. It was the larger screen. screen. Yeah, four-inch screen. Okay. I mean, obviously a better camera. It's always a better camera. Yeah. Better display as well. Three and a half inch screen, correct? Three and a half, yeah. Yeah. Okay. They basically was like one row of icons taller. This being the iPhone 4S was not Retina, and then the iPhone 5 was Retina, correct? No, the iPhone 4 was the first Retina display. Oh, it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Flashback, man. I just can remember that because I loved. That's one of my favorite Steve Jobs introductions to a product was the iPhone 4. Really? Yeah, because he uh, that was the, when the iPhone 4 was founded to bar. And everyone knew the design and all that ahead of time. Yeah. And people noticed the iTunes, like plug into connect to iTunes logo, because this is back when you had to connect an iPhone to iTunes. It looked a little yeah. bit sharper and everyone's like, oh, higher resolution screen. And and when it gets shown off, Steve Jobs on stage, he's like, and here's the design. Stop me if you've seen this before. And he just kind of like yeah. joked about it along the way. It was a it was a it was a good keynote. I miss those Steve Jobs keynotes. Yeah, I bet. Or not, I bet. I agree. There was something of a showmanship in the keynote, which he certainly delivered on. Yeah. So I guess going back to the iPad Pro, I agree with you that the 12.9 inch is often many times too big to use like in a personal way. I would wish or I do wish that they would have brought it to the 11 inch iPad Pro. That would be my desire. Yeah. I wonder if if mini LED will be the analog to the retina. Like if that will be like, like when I guess I wonder if you'll see this come out throughout the whole line. Like we saw retina being introduced in the iPhone 4 mm-hmm. because that really much changed when if you were a developer, you had to update all of your assets for Retina, right? You had to increase all that, but I don't think there's any developer action needed for Mini LED. No, it's all just presentation and hardware. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they might maybe change some some icons so that it looks sharper or something like that. I don't know, but not sharper, but like they can take advantage of a wider, wider color spectrum, so they might enhance some of their visuals. They don't have to do any of that. It's not like going back to the iPhone 5 where the screen size made it so that they'd have like a letterboxed framing yeah. for the wrap. I'm actually looking yeah. up right now though. I'm curious. I'm curious if there's rumors of the 16-inch MacBook Pro having a mini LED display. That's what the rumors are, yes. They are saying that okay. I'll I will trust my source Michael Caputo on that. And because it makes sense. I feel like if they they're doing some sort of design refresh or maybe they need more time to work on the M1X or any number of reasons why it's being held off. But it would make sense if one of those reasons was they're doing a larger refresh, which includes a mini LED. I know mini LED is also being talked about for the next Apple Watch as well. Yeah, I think that the problem with, or maybe not the problem, the, the challenge that they have with mini LED is that they can't get the yield high enough 
to produce as many panels, which is why they can't presumably roll it out to the MacBook 14 and 16 inch or the MacBook Pro 14 and 16 And iPhone. And iPhone. So I'm pretty sure I haven't seen any rumors about that. Yeah. I guess it, it is interesting that they went this way, the mini LED route opposed to OLED. I think that's kind of a... Are you aware of the, the differences between OLED and mini LED, like to the advantage of mini LED? I know how OLED works. I get that. I'm not quite sure. As I don't know as much about mini LED. So in mini LED, there is one light source, all right? But mm-hmm. what happens is that you can change the light source into different dimming zones. So if you look, you think about the iPad as a piece of glass, there are 2,560 dimming zones that you can individually turn on or off, which means that you can get much more contrast on those individual dimming zones than you can with an LED panel that you have to light up the panels to turn them black. Mm -hmm. Okay, with OLED, each individual pixel is lighted, but the problem is that OLED don't have... They're much more expensive to produce, and they don't have longevity in them as what I understand to be for, I guess, mini LED panels. Also, they they can't get as bright as LED, right? That's one thing I've heard. Yes, correct. Because the panel brightness, because you're lighting an individual panel, or sorry, individual pixel on uh, OLED versus the panel itself, or the light panel itself on mini LED. Gotcha. Yeah. It'll come to everything eventually. I mean, they'll figure out those yields. They'll figure it out. Yeah, I mean, science, it's nothing, man. They got this. Yeah, just every year, just things happen. They don't even need to do anything. They got this, man. There's no trouble with that. (laughs) Other than the new display technology inside the iPad and Thunderbolt, I don't know if there's a... At this point, I don't know if there's a compelling use case, I guess, to upgrade to the iPad if you were a normal consumer this year. Mm -hmm. If you're looking at this, if if you have an iPad from last year, even a 2018 iPad Pro... Unless you have something specific that you are doing that you need to take advantage of either of those two technologies, it's not to me is like a, I have to have this. I need to go drop $1,000 plus on an iPad Pro, a 12.9 inch iPad Pro specifically. But it raises a good question. Who is upgrading to these devices? Who's buying these? (laughs) There's always the person who just buys every year. There's always that person. I don't think there's a lot of them. Correct. Those are definitely more of the hobbyists and the, the most passionate kind of Apple fans. And, but no, I, I I think it's just, there are people who just upgrade their devices every few years and Apple just needs to keep a lineup going. I think it's just kind of down to that. There's someone this year who's going to say, Hey, I, I want to buy an iPad or Hey, I want to buy a new iPad pro just because they feel like it's time and they just got to keep them going for that. Hmm. Yeah. Like I think at this point, if I was, if I was thinking about upgrading, the price would, would certainly deter me like at $1,100 for the 12.9 inch, that's a pretty I mean it's only $100 more but it's still in context of the entire upgrade it's still a thousand dollars you know $1,099 mm-hmm. a lot of money yeah you know I think computers are a little bit different where people are like I'm going to make my computer stretch and keep it longer and they offload some of that work to their phone right like okay I, I don't need to get my new uh, my new computer this year because I'm going to do some things on my phone I'll answer emails on my phone or whatever the case is edit videos on my phone but like why do you need a $1,099 iPad Pro. That's kind of a, it's a, to me, it's, it's a very interesting question because I have no idea that there, th- I, I had no idea that there's this many people who are taking advantage of, of that iPad and they want to take, they want to like, oh, I have to have this. Mm-hmm. Like, because if you look at it today, let's, let's go to apple.com. The, it's like six weeks to get one, which is kind of crazy if you think about it. It's like, I can't give Apple my money fast enough. They're going to make me wait six weeks to get this product. <laughs> Order. I see your point, though, because, I mean, iPhone is a necessity in your life. 
Yes. Max for, you know, a large set of people is a necessity or just some sort of desktop computer. But we'll say Max because, you know, we're talking Apple. iPad, there's not like a necessity. No one's like, oh, I don't need a Mac. I don't need an iPhone, but I really need the iPad. There's like really no, I can't imagine there's anyone like that. If there is, the number of people should be very small because one, just by the sheer fact that it's $1,000, right? There, There's a limiting factor there. But two, their workflows or their workloads should not be so common that there's so many of them, mm-hmm. right? You know what I mean? Like that just seems how it is. Maybe some students, like, you know, like a high school student who just needs something to write, you know, some papers or something like that. Like maybe that there's just six weeks of a lineup of high school students buying iPad Pro 12.9 inch. All the high school students want the new iPad Pro. That's the, <laughs> so if I, if I look at it right now, delivery, if I order today and this is the 12.9 inch 512 Wi-Fi only, which I think is a pretty common configuration. June 29th to July 14th, four to six weeks. <laughs> I mean, you'll probably be able to walk into the store tomorrow and, and get an iPad if you wanted to. You probably won't have a huge choice of stock, but you'll have at least some, I think, some choice because mm-hmm. there's no way that they, they, the entire channel is going to be reserved for people ordering online. But I mean, it just to me, it's interesting who's spending this kind of money because it's, it's not cheap. Not cheap at all. Yeah, yeah. Anything else that you want to talk about for the about the iPad or the M1 or sorry or the um, iMac? Not on those, no. I think we we covered a lot there. Yeah, but um, they're good devices. Regardless, they're still, they're still all good devices. Yeah, Apple's in trouble. You know, they're going to go out of business. They <laughs> they can't make a computer to save their lives. What's a computer? What's a computer? The famous question from that young young woman in that commercial. What's a computer? <laughs> It's a good question, right? Because it's like, what what is a computer? She, she doesn't know any different because she's never been, I guess, introduced or formally introduced to a computer. They this blend is, in. <laughs> they're all over the place, but they just blend in now. They're ubiquitous. They're ubiquitous. That's a good way of putting it. Let's talk about our second favorite subject, which is going to be lossless audio. Holden, how do you feel about Apple Music Hi-Fi or Hi-Res, whatever they're calling it? I was so excited until I read into it just a little, little bit. <laughs> I'm like, oh, lossless audio. This is great. And then it's like, no, it doesn't work in any of the AirPod models. It's not supported on Apple's own products. And it's not going to work on my wireless headphones. You have to have some sort of wired connection um, to really get, uh, take advantage of true lossless. And I think they said, like, it'll still sound, you'll still listen to a lossless file, but you won't get the full fidelity of it. It'll be like tampered down in some way. And I'm like, Holy crap, there are so many caveats with this. It's just hard to get excited. Yeah. So maybe to to unpack your sense of frustration and disappointment. (laughs) (laughs) The bottleneck in this is that Bluetooth 5.0, which is what AirPods and AirPods Max use, has a upper bound threshold where you you just can't stream enough bits from your phone to your, your headphones to be lossless audio. There's too many bits and you lose that. Now, regardless whether most people would know the difference between, uh, you know, a super high, whatever the format's called, like super high res lossless or ALAC, I think it brings up an, an interesting point. You know, there's some language that Apple used when I think it was The Verge who reached out to them for, for comment where it was, does not currently support this feature. Like it was a, I know, I know you're upset. Listen, it's okay. Just give us some time. And that 
I think really, at least for me, I was like, okay, well, it sounds like they're they're at least, well, I mean, they're of course aware that their $550 headphones that people just bought <laughs> four months ago don't support this new music streaming service that you've probably been planning for longer than, you know, I would say four months at least. But it, it, it sounds like they're working on it. I think it would be interesting that either at WWDC, which probably wouldn't happen, but at, in the fall that we see these headphones take advantage of AirPlay 2. That seems to me like it would be a, the right step where there's just direct device to headphone streaming opposed to, you know, you, you do all the discovery through AirPlay 2 and then the streaming comes from when you connect your iPhone to your headphones instead of Bluetooth. Because again, Apple likes to control the stack. They don't control Bluetooth. They can only do so many improvements and throw so many like of these value adds in Bluetooth. They do control AirPlay and they can tinker with it however they want. It also means that I'm speculating here, but... There's probably a new Bluetooth coming down the line fairly soon. Could be. Yeah. That could handle that threshold. But you'd still be waiting for iPhones, iPads, Macs, even the Apple Watch to update to that format and then your headphones to update to that format. So still time before this is really widely accessible to most people. Yeah. So in that token, I, I don't think Apple's waiting for a a revision to Bluetooth for this to happen because that would mean that, you know, in, I have never seen a piece of hardware like Bluetooth 4.0 all of a sudden be Bluetooth 5.0 compatible, right? Like it's a, it's a hardware limitation on that. Yeah. So that's why I'm thinking where they would do something like AirPlay 2 streaming. But what is interesting, when you stream music from your iPhone to a, um, not a HomePlay speaker, but like the HomePod, yeah. I thought it actually uses AirPlay 2 as, a, as the streaming protocol but I'm super, it looks like it doesn't because not even the HomePod or the HomePod Mini support this new mm-hmm. uh, technology or this new streaming service. AirPlay also works off of Wi-Fi. Do we know that AirPods Pro Max has Wi-Fi built into it? We don't know that, no. Okay. Because I know the obviously the HomePods do. So if they start thinking with AirPlay 2 to get that working, the HomePods will, will support it. The one I'm, I'm most curious about is AirPods Pro Max. Not that I – because I have a pair – the AirPods Pro and the AirPods regular, the audio drivers will never give you enough resolution to begin with. Yep. So that doesn't really matter. But I think the AirPods Pro Max could, and obviously HomePod can as well. It's going to be a little while. This is, I think this is for audiophiles who already have the equipment to listen to that quality of music and haven't wanted to go to streaming services because of that lack of quality. Yeah. It is really cool how... Like in a an overnight process, they're basically making their entire library all lossless, right? So they're like launching with a certain number of songs, but the entire library will be all lossless by the end of the year, which is kind of like you think about the the weight and the muscle that Apple has in the content industry, because uh, if you bought content that was like previously HD, whenever there's a 4K version, they automatically convert that to 4K and give you that, right? They don't charge any licensing fees. And that they're converting your library to lossless as well for no additional fee. There, you know, there's no charge for that as a service. That to me is very much customer centric. Absolutely. Like yeah. what, you look at like Spotify Hi-Fi, they were charging you, I think it's $14.99 or not, sorry, not Spotify. It is Spotify Hi-Fi. $14.99 and title was maybe $14.99 as well. On top of the regular subscription? No, not on top of the regular subscription. Oh, it oh, was, the whole, it's $5 more. Yeah. $9.99 for Spotify. Hi-Fi is Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Fourteen ninety nine. Yeah. So that's that's actually kind of cool. I'm looking forward to using the Dolby, uh, the spatial sound. Like I've used mm-hmm. it in a, a few different movies. Sounds really cool. And I'm looking forward to seeing how it sounds with music. Yeah. I've I've never. It's like I I don't know. I just probably don't have the ears for it. 
I just can't hear the spatial audio. Like, it doesn't do much for me. Okay. But I can see in music with different panning effects in the songs that playing a bigger role. And I'd be, I would be interested in that. So have you have you experienced it with gaming? Well, yeah, PlayStation 5. Yeah, I have for 3D audio. Okay. And that is an ex- it's a pretty good experience as well. I think the first time I, I tried it with my iPhone, it wasn't that great because I'm like moving my iPhone all around time and space. And it's just like, yeah. But I did with my iPad next. And then I showed my wife and it was like so cool. So if you have a chance, like it's not hard. It shouldn't be hardware dependent. So if you if you have a pair of AirPods, you should work. Mm-hmm. And it's actually kind of cool because you're like, whoa, what was that? And you turn your head. It's kind of fun. Maybe it was the content I was watching because it, it to me, what it seemed like was if I turned my head away, the audio would be it would sound as if the audio is coming f- from the direction of the iPad itself. It's kind of what it seemed like to me that it would like move along with me. And I didn't like that. That's how it sounded to me, at least. I think the iPad has to move. That's why it doesn't work on a TV, right? Because mm-hmm. the TV is stable or constant. It's not moving. But if you as the display moves like and. That's I think that's what it is. Let's okay. just double check that because I might be I might be wrong there. Well, it's probably checking in relation to the two devices in in space, like AR almost. Like it's about the object's placement yeah. in space together and their relation together with between the AirPods Pro and the the iPad or other iOS device. And I don't know. For me, it didn't do much. But in in terms of like if the audio is designed for it, then I th- think it's interesting. Which is where I found you know 3D audio on PlayStation Five interesting. Or why I'm excited to hear it with with music, or at least more so with music than I am with like watching shows on my iPad. I listen to a lot of house music, that kind of stuff, and um, there'll be sometimes some sort of like panning effects that you can hear, and even in stereo, it it still has some sort of effect. But I'm sure when you have 3D audio or spatial audio, as they refer to it, you'll have a more dynamic sense of the placement of the different sounds. So this is off topic. Like there's this sleep cast that I use. So every night when I go to sleep, I use a sleep cast and there's a sleep cast I listen to in, in the app called calm. And the way that they have it mixed, it is like so amazing that it, it pans from left to right for a lot of these different scenes. Like most of the time I'm too excited to listen, like to fall asleep because it's so cool. I'm like, <laughs> Oh my God, this is so cool. But yeah, anyways, it's definitely a cool experience in my opinion. And I would wonder when it would come to gaming. Like, would they include, when would they include this type of feature inside of games on, in Apple Arcade? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that's probably the the next the next thing for them to, to bring it to. Anything else you want to talk about? Lossless audio? I mean, so you have no desire to buy like a, a small DAC for your iPhone? It just takes the convenience away from it. Yeah. But I guess there are times where I just like to kind of just sit and listen to music. And in those moments, it would be... It would be cool, but I don't know if my headphones are going to work with that. I think Dolby makes a digital DAC. There's many companies that make uh, iPhone DACs. Yeah, I don't know. I guess, so your headphones should support that because Sony has their own high-res format that they do. It's called, instead of FLAC, like uh, the standard, instead of ALAC, like what Apple does, I think it's called SLAC. Slack? So, oh yeah, I guess that would be right. Could that be carried, though, over a 3.5 millimeter headphone jack? I don't know. Because that's the only way to connect to my headphones is 3.5 millimeter headphone jack. So even if I have this DAC and my headphones plug into that, my headphones are still receiving a 3.5 millimeter headphone jack. So it might might not make a difference. But I don't, I don't know much about this stuff. So I don't know off the top of my head. You have the H3s or the M3s, right? Yeah, the M3s. Mm, it looks like I'm wrong that the M3s are not 
so they, they Sony does have a feature where they do support lossless audio on their headphones, but I don't see the headphones that you or I have listed here. I'm actually using my Sony's right now. Hmm. Interesting. I didn't know that. I thought it was supported. So knowing's half the battle, Holden. This will never hear high quality audio. It'll never happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if if your if your statement is true that the 3.5 millimeter jack is the next you know potential bottleneck, that would mean that Apple would have to solve bringing lossless audio to the AirPods Pro Max wirelessly. Not maybe maybe mm-hmm. not Bluetooth, but something wirelessly because they have a 3.5 millimeter jack. They would have to give you a different not give you a different one, but you'd have to use a different one or something else. Yeah, and this is where I'm gonna I'm gonna speculate a little bit further. Speculate. I feel like a lot of these streaming services wouldn't be offering this feature unless they knew that a lot of customers were going to be able to access it soon. And Bluetooth standards, I'm sure, is not a huge secret in the industry. Mm. So I would not be surprised if we see some sort of Bluetooth standards pretty soon. Like, when did Bluetooth 5 come out? Bluetooth 5, I think, has been a standard that has been around for uh, at least 12 months. Hold on. Bluetooth Wikipedia... Yeah, because I'm curious what the uh, what the cadence of releasing new updates to Bluetooth, like major updates, not like you know four point one, four point two, but like four or five, all that stuff. So Bluetooth five came out and says April seventeenth. First device with the Galaxy S eight and the iPhone eight and eight plus. Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's a while. That's at Bluetooth five. Yeah, Bluetooth five. That's a while ago. When did Bluetooth four come out? Oh my god, that's got to be a long time. Yeah. Adopted June 30th, 2010. Yeah. Long, long time. Yeah, 4.1 was 2013. 4.2 was 2014. And then 5 was in 2016. So, yeah, I I don't think it's crazy then to think that maybe this is coming fairly soon. 5.1 was 2019, January 2019. 5.2 is December 2019. And we haven't gotten an update. So, it'll be about two years since we got an update, which... It seems like they're doing minor upgrades every few years or so. So, yeah, maybe there is a Bluetooth 6 coming out pretty soon. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Matter of fact, let me just look up Bluetooth 6 and see if there's any rumors of it. Because rumors are fact. Rumors are fact. (laughs) Yeah, not a whole lot here. (laughs) I'm getting a lot of six things you didn't know about Bluetooth. (laughs) Let me just do the quotations. So it looks only for Bluetooth 6 and not anywhere Bluetooth and the number 6 shows up. So it just, yeah, it just seems strange that Apple, like I would see them wanting to solve this their own way. They've also, though, have recognized the importance of industry-wide standards. So like they worked on USB-C. USB-C was largely a push from Apple. They didn't want to just create a a proprietary port. So they've done that in the past. And I feel Mm -hmm. like with something like this, audio like this, I think it's important to have that as a standard for the whole industry. Then even it even benefits Apple. If someone wants to buy headphones that are lossless, capable, and wireless, well, why not buy the Apple one? They're still compatible with my Android phone, so you can buy AirPods and have it work with an Android phone. It doesn't do everything that AirPods do on an iPhone, but it would still, it could still do the lossless. In this hypothetical situation, it could still do the lossless and be on a Windows or on a on a, an Android phone. So that brings up a good question, right? The idea is that you want to create stickiness in your product so people don't want to buy other products. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you can use your AirPods on Android. It works as a very basic Bluetooth headset, but all the great discoverability features, the pairing, uh, sorry, the, uh, the switching of 
like the automatic switching between ears, all that only works on iPhones. You can use AirPods Pro with another device. Are you going to get the same noise cancellation features? No, you don't. Hmm. I don't know. Like I could see them like to what you're saying. I could see them saying, okay, hey, you don't hear all hear these AirPods Pro. You can use them with any other device that you want to, and it's going to work. But if you want to use them for lossless audio, there's this other feature that only works with iPhones, not delivering that feature. Like, could you imagine like Apple coming on stage and like, they're talking about, you know, they're talking about lossless audio and we, the first company to stream audio lossless over wireless signal. Like that's like the something I could just see them kind of touting because no one else is doing it. If it was a standard, like there's no differentiation there. They want to be like the, they want to set themselves out from everyone else. But they, they still offer Apple Music on Android, though. So they could be cutting out some of their customers by not doing it that way. I, I totally hear where you're coming from. Like, there are absolutely benefits yeah. of, of being on AirPods and having an iPhone. Absolutely. And it's what makes AirPods the best truly wireless headphones. Yeah. I think there's a line, and I feel like that would be over the line. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I guess we'll see. We will see what happens. Hopefully it's not too far away in the future where they fix this problem because Holden is upset. Tim, do you hear me? Timmy, do you hear me, Timmy? I have his email address. I'll just email him and be like, hey, Tim, fix this. Hey, wait, here's me knocking on the door. Then I hear the dog barking. I'm like, oh, wow. Is it that loud? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So we talked about the new, you know, new hardware, new software. We talked about the new streaming service. There was something else that Apple announced was new accessibility features, which are not out yet, but they look very promising. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, they're amazing. They're super cool. So I am not very familiar with that. I didn't read a whole bunch into it. I'm not sure if you did or did not. I read the article. There were just a few standouts that I thought were the most notable. Okay. So what what are they actually doing here? Like what's some of the, they're, they're kind of broadening their products from an accessibility standpoint to be more inclusive, right? For people, yeah. all right. I saw the thing with the, you could stop the alarm by pinching your fingers, if I'm not mistaken. Was it something like that? Yeah. So the Apple Watch is has assistive touch now. So people don't know assistive touch is a feature for people with some sort of difference with maybe motor function or something like that, or they can only use the iPhone with one hand, or they can't do gestures as a result. Like, and it kind of assists them with those types of input. Well, what the Apple Watch is doing is you can basically now use the Apple Watch with only one hand by doing hand gestures. And it's essentially, I guess, tracking. I don't know how it does it, but I'm assuming it's got to do something with how your wrist changes and moves as you do certain, like, because if you hold on to your wrist, you start moving your hand, you can feel like a difference in like, yes, in your wrist size or how your wrist moves. And they're probably tracking that to create those inputs. And you can also use the accelerometer to move your this little like dot around the screen to select things. It is just super cool. Uh, that one blew my mind. Truly amazing, I think. And just a, another way that Apple Watch is just an incredibly powerful device. And the other one I thought was interesting was sign language support in the Apple store, whether you're calling in or in person yes. at the store. That is remarkable. Yeah, so I did see that where that now the person that you interact with can read and respond in ASL, right? In sign language. Yeah. Wow, that is really cool. There's also some uh, headphone accommodations. So like if you have a hard of hearing, they have some new accommodations for headphones. So customize your audio experience to your individual hearing needs. With iPhone and iPad, you can amplify soft sounds or just certain frequencies to make them hard to, or to make them more prominent. So some of the cool things that I, I don't, 
if you, you probably know this, they have the Apple Insider Research Kit. You can sign up for these different research studies. And they ask you how you use things and they ask you if you have, if well, you know, whether you're hard of hearing and they do, a lot of these questions came from there. Like, can you tell me if you can hear this? And they play an audiogram and you say, okay, I can hear this part of it, but I can't hear that part of it. It's just really interesting the way that they devise how to solve these problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, made for iPhone hearing aids. I didn't, so I know they make hearing aids and I know that you can integrate your hearing aid with your iPhone, but I didn't know that there was made for iPhone hearing aids. Yeah. Like that's, that's actually kind of cool. Apple's work with top manufacturers to create hearing aids and sound processors designed specifically for the iPhone and iPad. Apply your audiologist presets without having them to rely on remotes or adjust your own levels. That's super cool. That is really cool. These things are so important, and I I really appreciate the way Apple handles this stuff. This is kind of pulling in from my experience with, uh, with video games and kind of discussions in that in video game culture. There's been a big push for conversations about accessibility in games in the past few years and how to make games more accessible. And Mm -hmm. I think one of the – in terms of the goal of getting as many people to be able to play games as possible – this is going to tie in. As many games as possible, I feel like it's super important that the platform holders are the ones who – initiate accessibility features. Whereas in the video games, you kind of talk about it on like a per developer basis. And I think it's a very flawed way of approaching accessibility. I think Apple gets it completely right. And the the reason is consistency of experience across different applications. If it's made on the base of the platform, then there is a consistent experience across all apps. I've known a few blind people actually who who use accessibility and voiceover specifically, and I've seen them them use it. And they can use the phone tremendously fast, but they tend to run into the most problems when a developer goes their own way with accessibility. It becomes a stopgap, and it becomes very hard to for that interaction to occur. But when you have, it's like it's like you don't. Like, why do all cars have steering wheels? Because when you get into a car, you would like to have a consistent experience of how to interact with the car. You don't want to get in there and a PlayStation controller comes out like it does in Men in Black and you have no idea what to do with it. And offering consistent tools for accessibility by the platform holder across the entire platform is the best way to make sure that every car, every app has that steering wheel as opposed to some other mechanism for accessibility that that they've decided is is the best. Apple just nails it. They do such a good job with that. Yeah. So the example where you said you have a different, you know, different accessibility experience in each game based on how the developer chose how to or if at all to implement mm-hmm. is a really good example. Apple abstracts that need from the developer, says, okay, listen, I know that or for the most part they they extract it. We're gonna do it the way that we want to and and it's gonna be the seamless experience across all the products. Mm-hmm. That's actually, my dad has uh, hearing uh, trouble hearing his tinnitus uh, really bad. I was just showing him some of the things in accessibility when I was in Chicago recently. And he's like, oh, wow, I didn't know that you can do that. He, and he, it, it obviously didn't cure his hearing loss, but he it helped him kind of just use his phone a little bit easier than, mm-hmm. than it had been in the past. So yeah. it's, it's really interesting. And another ex- example too, it just goes to the whole seamlessness. Let's say that you're someone with motor needs, right? You need Maybe like in a game, you need you need animations to be slowed down or something like that, so you can properly respond to to what works best for you in the game. There are some games that offer that, not all of them, but there are some games that offer that. But you have to go into the settings for each game and tailor it for each game, as opposed to going to the settings of 
your PlayStation or your Nintendo Switch or your Xbox or your PC saying, make these adjustments. And then when you go into a game, it's already set up for you to work that way. Like why? That is clearly the better experience. Yeah, way better experience because it's it's like top level. You set it once. You set it and forget it. You don't have to go into it per game. You actually don't have the inconvenience of buying a new game and not knowing how it's supported or if at all. Yeah. And they're like, oh, man, this isn't supported. I can't do this. Like, what's the name of the controller that Microsoft makes, the, the tap one? The, the, the accessibility the controller. Yeah, like that's, I mean, that's actually very, very cool. And yeah. I don't think Sony has something like that, do they? No, they don't. But I think you can plug in an Xbox controller into us. I, I think. I'm not 100%, but I think you might be able to. Yeah. Sony would be huge a-holes if they don't let you plug that controller into a PlayStation and have it work. Yeah, that would suck. Uh, I got somewhere down the rabbit hole of I landed on Belltone's website looking for <laughs> hearing aids. <laughs> but yeah, so they, they they being Apple, they announced uh, several other accessibility features. I don't know, I'll call them tweaks. What is this front row, your own attention, captivated? I thought there was something about doing transcription. But maybe I'm wrong. Where they were doing some type of transcription. Oh, audio descriptions here. Watch oh yeah, with oh, photos, you can like look at certain parts of a photo and like draw a box around or some of that, and it will read you a description of that or something like that uh, through object okay. recognition. So I, I think. What I think is actually what really cool. What what is Google is did last year for the first time, and they're continuing it, is where they're doing on device translations for video for like videos that you take, and also I think for certain other types of videos. Or that's just super helpful for, I mean, people, if you're hard of hearing, you know, you don't interact with your phone that way and you want to, that's very, you know, when, when they, when companies like Apple and Google solve problems like this, everybody wins. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a big deal with uh, Google's feature there. I'm not sure to what extent it can be used, but I know for people who have visual impairments and are fully blind, there are apps you can get where you'll basically voice chat with, with uh, somebody and they'll describe mm. things you're pointing your camera at so that you know, like, oh, I'm, like, I was handing this money. How much money is this? Oh, okay. Things like that. But that's a live person you're talking to over over the phone. I wonder if Google can take it to that step and say you were handed a $5 bill and that the person yeah. didn't, like, cheap you out and hand you $1 instead and, you know, snickered like an idiot and ran off because they're being a huge mm. jerk. Yeah, here, even uh, sound recognition. So you can turn on sound recognition so your iPhone will recognize certain sounds in the environment, like your dog barking, a fire alarm, glass breaking, all that. That's huge. Yeah. That's life or death. Like, seriously, it's life or death. So here's something funny. It was some time ago, I was at a hotel and they had, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the, the fire side, uh, signs for um, you know, when, when there's a fire. And someone I was with is like, why would they put signs on the floor? I'm like, well, if there's a fire, you know, the first thing that people they tell you to do is if there's smoke, especially you get down on the floor and you crawl. Yeah. Right. Well, if, if you're crawling, you want to make sure that you're one, you're going the right way. And two, that anything is visible because mm-hmm. if you're closer to the floor, you can't, you know, you might not be able to see it because of the smoke. Yeah. But also not everyone can, not everyone has the ability to see. They might be, you know, they might be deaf, you know, they might not have their, um, their vision and everyone needs to be protected in that type of environment or that type of scenario. So mm-hmm. it's really cool. Yeah. This is pretty big, Holden. Thank you for uh, opening me up to this. I yeah, of course. I think it's a really important thing that uh, technology is fully accessible to everyone. Yeah. I wonder how car manufacturers handle accessibility. I don't know. There's like a difference there. We're like, should cars really be handling like vision accessibility needs, for example, and to what extent? Because if you can't see, maybe you shouldn't be driving in the first place. 
Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a different s- scenario there. Um, but I'm, I am kind of, it's a good point. I'm curious about that. Well, what if you have like a vision impairment where you can't drive at night, right? Like mm-hmm. maybe you have, yeah. or if you're, if you can see, but you can't hear, right? Yeah. I'm just thinking like that. Those are all rich, real interesting problems. And I imagine they exist today, right? It's like we have, you know, the first person's learning how to drive now. I mean, this, I mean, it is interesting. And it would be interesting if that there was this integration between your iPhone and your car, where if you had one of those impairments or one of those needs, you could use your iPhone would help broker that need to that car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Huh. Super interesting. I don't, is there, before we close out this subject, Holden, is there anything else that you want to talk about today? There's one more thing. <laughs> Okay. Okay. It's not huge, but I've been seeing this. I, I'm not sure if you've seen it too, but these renders of the potential watch series seven design where it mimics yeah, it more nice. of the iPhone 12. I'm really mixed on it. There are parts of it where I'm like, it looks really cool, but I don't know if I want to wear something that is square like that. I'd love the kind of pebble shape of the current Apple watch. And this might be okay. a weird take, but I have no problem if it never changes. And it's just always this, because you can't make it thinner to a certain extent because mm-hmm. the, the, it always needs to be thicker than the crown. Otherwise the crown's rubbing up against your skin and you can't actually use it. Mm-hmm. So like making it thinner is not really a benefit. And I don't know. I think the rounded kind of corners of that it's, it's part of the aesthetic. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sold on it. I was curious about you, what your take on it was. I think the the source of those of those designs came from John Prosser, mm-hmm. and he, I, I watched the video yesterday. So it's the word of God, basically. No, no, I, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I, I I really like them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're not necessarily they're. So I'm looking at the shape of our watch today, and the Apple Watch is it's a rounded wreck, right? Yeah, it's not square. It's not round. It's got round corners to it, mm-hmm. but the top of it is like like bubbly yes because you know yeah it's like a little bit of a curvature on the top yeah and so in the ones that you're referencing is that they are it's flat on the top so instead of so it it would kind of look like the a new iphone right if you're looking at it Mm -hmm. it's, it's that type of flat design my question is how do you make the watch bigger how do you get a bigger a bigger display in the watch without necessarily changing the shape of it all too much. I think there's still a little bit of a bezel on this current watch. So I think you could just get rid of more bezel and just stretch the screen out, just like they did with the, from series three to four. There's still bezel to get rid of. Yep. But could you make it bigger by making it flatter? Potentially. I don't know. So the bezels on the iPhone 11 were not big by any stretch, mm-hmm. right? They were they were pretty small. But when you saw the iPhone 12, you're like, wow, that looks really tiny. Yeah. Like the the amount of the bezels. And then, I don't know, I, th- I think there is, I'm not opposed to it like I, like I think you are. I wouldn't mind a larger face watch, though I don't know if I would need one. I think that's the question I'm trying to, like, why make the watch bigger? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have a 44 millimeter. I like the size of that. When I had 42, I recognized there was probably room to grow on the screen. But I don't know if I necessarily would say no to more screen real estate. Like if they went to a 46, 44 for the next iteration, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Now, I don't know yeah. if, it, if it was intentional, but in those mock-ups, the size was 50. Really? Yeah. So 50 millimeter. That's huge for an Apple Watch. Yeah. And the thing where I, where it might be 
challenging is how do you make a 50 millimeter watch when you have watch bands that, sorry, do the watch bands need to still need to fit? So like if yes. you're upgrading. <laughs> yes, they do. If you're upgrading from a 44, mm-hmm. which used to be a 42, are you still able to use your watch bands or are they going the way of the dodo bird? I don't know. It's a good question. Other hypothetical, is that a third sized Apple watch? Maybe that is. Yep. And maybe if you are consciously making the decision to go to a bigger Apple Watch, you no longer have to make the Apple Watch bands fit. Yeah. That's a good point. We'll see. You know, I, I did think about one more thing, or I, I do. I have now one more topic that you- I already made the about. one more thing joke, Michael. <laughs> You're ruining the joke. Okay. Just kidding. Go for it. <laughs> so this made me think of Apple Glasses and Apple Watch. So what if the entire reason that the iPhone and the Apple Watch were made is to feed into another product. So like you'll need to have an Apple Watch and an iPhone to have the glasses? No. So everyone, uh, everyone, including myself, talk about, you know what, they have so many challenges to solve before they bring you glasses, such as radio size, battery life, you know, material finish. But what if they're already solving those challenges in the Apple Watch? That's like for example, your Apple Watch doesn't have an always on display or it has an always on display, but it's it's low cycle refresh. So it's LPTO. What if the data on your glasses isn't necessarily on all the time? So you're not always getting something so they, they can extend the battery that way. Oh, yeah. What if the Apple Watch already has a cellular, cellular radio. They're working on miniaturizing it every single year and they're only miniaturizing it so they can drive it smaller for what is this next product. They already have a, a, an, a I mean, you're... Apple Watch battery lasts all day. Maybe that's something that they could already do inside these this other product by distributing the battery throughout the frame or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of interesting when you think about like that they use all of these key learnings and it would make sense that they do this. They use all these key learnings from one product just to make the next product that is two, three, four years down the road feasible. So they had the, the iPhone system on a chip. And then with Apple Watch, it was system in a package. Yep. It's kind of like that that shrinking effect. But with the yes. Apple Watch, I think the battery and all those are still separate components. So maybe for the – there's the kind of this uh, S5 or S6 now. That's like got most of the, the, the Apple Watch on it. But then there's still the outside components for like digital crown, for, mm-hmm. for speakers, that kind of stuff. What if on the next one they just put it all into one sort of piece that package. can – yeah, one sort of package, all of it together. Or they don't need certain things. Like, does this device need speakers? Does it does it need a digital crown? That's for sure. Does it need haptics? I mean, th- those are all good questions. Yeah. Like, what can they kind of, like, parse out to get that to fit into something so small that it literally can just be, like, right here on the glasses and you wouldn't even know about it? So they look like just regular glasses to the naked eye. Exactly. Like, you don't need something with a with an always on your glasses don't need to have an always on display because you're not always in the situation where you're getting real time data. Mm -hmm. Like even though your watch is always on, there's only complications on your watch that are updated every so frequently. Right. And like your the, um, like even the, the second hand doesn't update every second on the new, um, on the app on the series six. It's like things like that. Yeah, so there was um I can't remember Intel had a pair of AR glasses at one point. And the way it worked is when you're looking forward, you can't even tell that there's a display there. But when you look up, it you kind of are looking up into some sort of like laser array 
that mm-hmm. until it built into the glasses and then you can see the interface. But it was like all red. It wasn't like great, whatever. But maybe that's how it works is that if it was always there, mm-hmm. it's always there, but it's on the always on mode where it's refreshing once every 60 seconds. But then when you look up, that's when you're like looking at your watch face and then it updates 60 hertz just like it does on an yeah. Apple watch. And it works that way. That's a really, really interesting idea. Yeah, because some of the things that they're already doing in the Apple watch should be able to be extended to another type of product. Like yeah. It seems like it would make sense. Like complications. Like I would be very surprised if complications didn't come to the iPhone this year. That would just make sense, mm-hmm. right? Because complications, you want to be able to show complications on the lock screen, but they would never have gotten complications on the lock screen unless they did them on the watch first, mm-hmm. right? So there's this like, you need to figure it out first on a smaller platform that has that has many less users. So it's not like, so you're not at risk to losing the platform. But then you can brought, you know broaden it to a, a number of other people. I'm excited to see these glasses eventually. Yeah, me yeah. too. Eventually, will they support lossless audio? Though that is the question. <laughs> yeah, that no, they won't. They won't support lossless audio. But I mean, a, a good example, like you know, your question is: Do the Apple glasses need to support you know speakers for you to hear? The answer is probably not, because people have AirPods, and maybe people who buy these glasses were more likely to have AirPods. But if they did, it would be really easy to miniaturize, to to know how to miniaturize those type of components because you already are building them small enough for your AirPods. I just had a thought. Go ahead. It will have haptics. Bone induction sound. Oh, yeah. It'll use haptics for bone induction sound. That would be interesting. That'd be very interesting. Like you're walking, instead of tapping you on the wrist, it taps you you on the ear to turn right or left. For directions. So there are, cool. there are these headphones you can buy that they don't go in your ear. They kind of go like yeah. right by your temple and it doesn't feel like anything's tapping you, but you still hear the sounds. Yep. It's wild. It is wild. Maybe something like that. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe this is the year, Holden. Maybe this is the year. Yeah, this is the year. <laughs> I feel like every year it's like, oh, uh, Apple has plans to announce the Apple glasses this year and it never happens. That's exactly how I feel about WWDC. (laughs) (laughs) Apple's going to do this this year. Man, not soon enough. Let's go. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about, Holden? You know, we we talked about the past with iPhone 4S and iPhone 5. So the present with iMac and iPad, the new updates. And we talked about the future. We've covered all aspects of time. We got it all. The whole gamut. Yeah. So that's going to be the episode title, Past, Present, and Future. Yep. (laughs) There you go. I like it. Holden, where can everyone find you at? I am on Twitter at Holden DePardo, and I'm also on a video game podcast called Respawning Fire, which is at Respawning Fire on Twitter. We're on podcast services, all that good stuff. Awesome. Holden, thank you very much for joining me today. Everyone, thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you in the next one. Bye-bye.